Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. Applause says it all, doesn't it? Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into his beautiful presence. Amen. Let's pray. Sweet Holy Spirit, we thank you for the gift of fellowship, of family, of love. We thank you that your grace is always sufficient for us and your power is made perfect in our weakness. As we gather before you this morning, Lord, we pray that you absolutely have your way. Let nobody leave here the same. Be glorified in us and through us. As your word comes, Lord, let it be your word, not human opinion, not human wisdom, but your unadulterated truth. Truth that sets free. Truth that heals. Truth that delivers. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this month is our month of witness. This is our month where we are all supposed to be telling our neighbors and our friends and strangers about Jesus. Amen. It's our evangelism month. We are supposed to be bearing witness. In Acts of the Apostles, so the book of Acts is a a letter that was written by a doctor called Luke to his friend called Theophilus. Now, the thing with the name Theophilus is that we don't know if it's a person. Of course, we know a lot of people call Theophilus. But because of the meaning of the name, we don't know whether it's an imaginary character he writes to because Theophilus means lover of God. So was he just writing to anybody who loves God? Or was it to a very specific Greek friend of his? He writes this letter. And if you look at it, it's actually just Luke bearing witness. Amen. Luke saying, this is what I know, this is what I've experienced, and I want to share it with you. So he begins, and he reminds him that this is his second book. The first one is actually the Gospel of St. Luke. So he writes and he says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, this is chapter 1 from verse 1 of Acts. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized you with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdoms? Restore our kingdom, he replied. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Verse 8 is our anchor scripture for today. It says, but you, 
will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. It says, you will receive power after that the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses. Amen. So the criteria, the qualification for bearing witness is that first and foremost, the Holy Spirit must come upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, just speaking in tongues and disturbing your neighbors is not enough. Just <laughs> acting all religious is not enough. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're supposed to manifest his power. Amen. There has to be this tangible evidence of his power upon your life. Now, what is interesting in that is that in Luke's first letter to Theophilus, he actually narrates a story that demonstrates what Jesus means by this, to be his witness. In fact, the question with witnessing for Christ is exactly what are we supposed to tell people? Are we supposed to be experts in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic and be able to dissect every Greek word and go to the etymology and the morphology of words and show how intelligent we are? What are we supposed to say exactly? What witness are we bearing? Because to qualify as a witness, you must be somebody who either saw something that happened. It's a very legal word, actually. You go to court to bear witness. And if you didn't see anything and you weren't there, <laughs> you are not qualified to be a witness. So what are we supposed to bear witness of? It's a very simple question, but one we don't talk about a lot. And Jesus shows us what we are supposed to bear witness of. Amen. In chapter 4 of Luke, I think the biggest story in Luke chapter 4 is the temptation of Jesus. Everybody who's been to church knows that story. But in verse 14, from verse 14, the Bible says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee. This is after he's been tempted. He returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Verse 18. And in verse 18, he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Amen. Hallelujah. 
So this is the witness we are supposed to bear. But before we bear witness, this must be our experience. And yet the sad thing about Jesus' manifesto, which he outlines here, quoting the prophet Isaiah, is that it is very easy to be in church all your life and not experience them. In fact, he reads the scripture in Nazareth where he grew up as a boy, where the people were familiar. Anytime we read the Bible, we read the New Testament or even the Old Testament, and we see Israel, see the church. Amen. The Bible says Israel is God's firstborn. Israel is very representative of the church. So Jesus shows up in Nazareth. He shows up among the people who should know him the best. And the Bible continues that he rolled up the scroll, handed it back. He sat down. And then everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. And then this is what they said. You know, instead of focusing on his word, instead of praising God, they said, how can this be? Isn't this Joseph's son? They were too familiar with Jesus. So he tells them, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Meaning, do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. This is the scariest thing for me when I read Jesus' words for the church of God. Jesus says no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. There are many people, I mean, in fact, before you start preaching, they know every scripture you quote, every verse, they know every word you say because they spend so much time in church. Jesus has become too familiar. And so there is no deep reverence for him. When you tell them to bear witness, there isn't much they can bear witness of. Because their walk with Jesus actually hasn't been that experiential. They do their morning devotion. They say some prayer. But actually, it is, it is a shallow relationship. And this is a danger for all of us as Christians. It is so easy to be so close to Jesus and still miss him. So I want us to go back to what Jesus promised. And I want to ask you, in your own life and in your own work with him, before you go out there and be witness, can you say that you have received this good news? Because to qualify to receive his good news, you have to be poor. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to be hungry for the gospel of Christ to be meaningful. You have to desire him. When you're hungry, when you're truly hungry, and they place a bowl of food or a plate of food in front of you, that food grabs your undivided attention. Amen. You never see somebody who is ravishing, somebody who is extremely hungry, be scrolling on their phone whilst they're eating doesn't happen. You wouldn't see anybody who is truly hungry be chatting whilst you're eating. It doesn't happen. When you're truly, truly hungry, when they put a bowl of food in front of you, <laughs> it gets your undivided attention. Amen.
And Jesus says, I came for the hungry. I came for the poor, those who are poor in spirit, those who know that they can't make this journey all by themselves. Poverty can be defined as a lack of access. For me, that is the simplest definition of poverty, a lack of access. And Jesus says, I have come to give you access. This is the good news, that we who are no people, today are the children of the Most High God. We who are struggling with sin and knew that we had no future, we have a future in him. But you have to be hungry for him. How hungry are we? He brings good news, but the good news is only to the poor. He says, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. Have you been released from captivity? To be, to be captive, captive is a very military word. When prisoners of war, when you are captured in battle, you know, you become a captive. To be imprisoned is, a, is some form of captivity. When limitations are placed on you and you can't move as freely as you want to. How many are in church reading their Bible every day and are still in captivity? How many even remember that Jesus actually has the power to set captives free? Every evidence shows that the church today struggles with every sin the world struggles with. The same levels of addictions, the same levels of everything. And yet Jesus is so close by we, we've known him from childhood. He was our friend from childhood. He grew up here in Nazareth. Can we bear witness that he has truly set us free from our habits, from our addictions, from our perversions, from our inclinations? Today, you set up a church and you have to be as vigilant. In fact, you probably would have to be more vigilant in a secular institution because Everything abominable happens in church. Even among leaders. Has Jesus truly set you free? Or are you still a captive to sin? That the blind will see. There's a story where some people were arguing with Jesus. He says, well, since you insisted that you see... I have to leave you blind because you insist that you see. But do we see? Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Are we so engrossed with ourselves and our ambitions and our desires that we insist on having everything our own way? How yielded are we to his leading? That the oppressed will be set free. The word oppression is very interesting. Because the thing with being with Jesus, the thing with being born again, is that the Holy Spirit does actually come upon you and he indwells you. But many times when we don't yield to him, we grieve him. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, he's dormant in us. But he's in there. So the devil can't possess us but he can oppress you. Oppression is what you do to your TV with a remote control. You take over the TV's mind, and when you press a button, it has to respond whether it likes it or not. There are many Christians who are oppressed by the devil. 
You don't have a mind of your own. At least their deepest thoughts don't align with God's word or with God's will. Oppressed by the devil. Who is controlling you? Some people are up depressed now because there is inflation and their businesses are struggling. And their projections for the year have actually just been thrown out of the window. But why are you depressed? Some marriages are falling apart because somebody is distracted by something that is nowhere near as good as what they already have. But why are you distracted? Why are you throwing everything that is precious away for something of such poor quality? Why? The good news is Jesus sets the oppressed free. Amen. But is this your experience? Because until you have experienced him and his power and his mind, you can't go out there and bear witness. And that the time of the Lord's favor has come. I live a life of favor. It's not... In another life, I work as a journalist and I end up in places everybody's running away from. And by, and by God's grace, he always brings me back home. That is favor. One time, I left northern Mali. By the time I got to Ghana, the team I was with in Gundam had been attacked. You sleep in a hotel, you get back home, you hear the hotel has been bombed. Not once, I slept in hotels across some countries in Africa, not just one hotel, that has been attacked by terrorists. Not once. Why didn't they attack when you were there? So, you can't be a witness if all you've done is read it in the Bible. That's not the essence of Christianity. That's not the essence of this faith. Because that's when you get caught in this whole apologetics and try to intellectually explain the universe and creation and new creation and new world theories and all that. No. We are supposed to experience him. We are supposed to experience his deliverance. Amen. So when I tell you about Jesus, I'm telling you what I have seen and what I have witnessed. Hallelujah. When I tell you about the kingdom of God, I'm telling you what I have seen and what I've experienced. Amen. Jesus really annoys the people of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 as we round up. Verse 25, he says, Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. 
when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Why were they furious? Because Jesus was telling them that even though Christ lives among you, even though he grew up among you, even though he was sent to you, even though you are the church, you are his firstborn, the one entitled to every blessing and every grace, what is happening is that because we are apathetic and uninterested, the grace of God rather abounds towards unbelievers and sinners. So you go out there and God is still healing the sick, still raising the dead, still performing miracles. You come to church and the church is dead. And you thought after hearing this, they will kneel in repentance and ask for forgiveness. No, that's not what happens. They get furious and try to kill him. The church tries to kill Jesus. So as we ready up, go out there and bear witness. This is my question to you. How experiential has your journey been so far? And would you want to investigate why if it's been shallow or meaningless or uneventful, will you want to investigate why? He says, call upon me. Let's bow down our heads in prayer. He says, call upon me and I will answer you. Call upon me and I will answer you. He says, if you draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Don't take the scriptures for granted just because you know them by heart. Doesn't mean they've lost their power. The word of God never loses its power. Every promise of God is so relevant in this time and in your future. May we dedicate ourselves to him again this morning. May we ask him to forgive us for our lukewarmness and for our apathy, for our lethargy. May we ask him to revive in us, to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. Sweet Holy Spirit, we thank you for your mercy and your goodness. We can't be witnesses if we haven't experienced you fully. And this morning we say, Lord, we step out of the way so you can have your way. We repent of our self-centeredness and our self-worship. And we yield to you, the only one who saves. Forgive us for our sins and have your way in us. Let us experience you, Lord. Let us know you as a man knows his friend. Walk with us. Show yourself to us. Help us be witnesses of your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.